Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. This week we're going to continue our study in Revelations chapter 19 verses 1 to chapter 20 verses 9. And the title is The Coming of Christ and His Millennium Kingdom. Okay, is everybody there? Let's look at chapter 19 verses 1. After these things, John hears a great multitude in heaven praising the Lord for his righteous punishment of the great harlot. The song extols him as the Lord our God to whom belong salvation, glory, honor, and power. Chapter 19, verse 2. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of the servants. It vindicates him for his destruction of the great harlot. It was consistent in his attributes of true and righteousness that he should punish the harlot for her fornication and for her cold-blooded slaughter of his servants. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 3. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Chapter 19, verses 4 says, The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Chapter 19, verses 5, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, you who hear him, both great and small. A voice from the throne calls out on all God's servants to join in magnifying the Lord for destroying the monstrous Babylon. Chapter 19, verses 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Now another song breaks out in heaven, as loud as many waters noise, loud as thunder to the ear. A great hallelujah swells in celebration of the reign of the Lord God omnipotent. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him joy, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The tribulation is past. Babylon has been judged. Now the marriage of the Lamb has come. The church... The wife of Christ has prepared herself for a soul-thrilling occasion. She is arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, which is explained as symbolizing the righteous acts of the saints. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, look at fine linen, bright and clean, given to her to wear. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 9. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. An angel instructs John to write a benediction for all who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is the heavenly bride, 
Those who are invited guests are the rest of the redeemed. The angel reinforces the importance of the blessing by insisting that it is represented by the true saying of God. Chapter 19, verses 10. At this, I fell at the feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold up to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. John falls before the angel's feet in an act of worship, but is forbidden. Only God is to be worshipped. The angel is a fellow servant of John and of all who hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then the angel adds, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This means that the true purpose of prophecy is to bear testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The angel wanted men to worship God the Son concerning whom he was bearing witness. Let's look at chapter 19 verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. Finally we reach the event to which the rest of the book has been looking forward. The glorious coming of Christ to the earth in order to put down his enemy and set up his kingdom. This is not the rapture of the church. There Christ comes to the air for his saints. Here he comes to the earth with his saints. Notice the description of our Lord. He's sitting on the white horse. There obviously is a war horse since he is coming to conquer his enemies. His name is Faithful and True. He is faithful to his promise and true to his own character. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. He can only rule over a kingdom where the people are willing to live under a reign of righteousness. Therefore, he must first remove all things that offend. Chapter 19, verses 12. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. His eyes are like a flame of fire, suggesting the penetrating power of his judgments. He can detect all rebellion and unbelief. On his head are many diadems. Others might wear the crown of victory, but only the Lord Jesus is spoken of as wearing the diadem of royalty. He has a name inscribed which no one knows except himself. There are mysteries connected with the person of Jesus Christ that not, no created being will ever be able to comprehend. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 13. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. He is clothed in a robe dripped with blood. Not the blood he shed at Calvary Cross, but the blood of his enemies, whom he tramples in the winepress of the wrath of God. He is called by the name, the Word of God. A word is a means of expressing thought. In Christ, God has fully expressed himself to man. Chapter 19, verses 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. He is accompanied by the armies of heaven, which are clothed in fine linen and riding on white horses. These armies are no doubt made up of the saints, but it is noteworthy that they are not required to fight. The Lord Jesus defeats his foes unaided. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Chapter 19, verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. Our Jesus is the supreme ruler. All others must submit to his reign. Chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. The great supper of God is the destruction of God's remaining foes before the kingdom is set up. The vultures are summoned to attend. They will feed on the carcasses of those who are slain by the Lord. People from every class of society, both small and great. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 19 to 20. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluged those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. In a desperate attempt to prevent Christ from taking the reins of government, the beast allies and the armies of the world to make war against the Lord and against his army. But it is a futile attempt. Both the beast and the false prophet are captured, hurled alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 21. The rest of the rebels are killed with the sword of the Lord, their bodies providing ample carrion for the vultures. The sword is an allusion to the word of God. This brings us to the end of the great tribulation. Before the millennium begins, Satan must be restrained. Let's look at chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand with a great chain. To accomplish this, an angel comes down from heaven with the key to the abyss and a huge chain in his hand, ready. In one sense, our Lord bound Satan when he came to earth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? So this is another stage in his binding. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, bound for a thousand years. The angel seized Satan and bound him for a thousand years. John listed four names of the tempter. He calls him the dragon, serpent, the devil which is the accuser, and Satan the adversary. Chapter 20 verse 3. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So during the millennium, the arch enemy is confined to the bottomless pit. The abyss is sealed that he cannot go forth to deceive the nations. Towards the end of Christ's reign, he will be released for his last brief rebellion. Let's look at chapter 20, verses 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. John now sees people enthroned in heaven with authority to rule. These are saints of the church age who will reign with Christ as his bride. 
John also sees a company of martyrs who had refused to take the mark of the beast. These are clearly tribulation saints who died for their faith. Both companies will reign with Christ during the golden age of peace and prosperity. Chapter 20, verses 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead refers to the unbelievers of all ages who will be raised at the end of the millennium to stand before the judgment of the great white throne. The statement, this is the first resurrection, refers back to verse 4. The first resurrection is not a single event. It describes the resurrection of the righteous at various times. It includes the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of those who are Christ when he raptures the church, the resurrection of the two witnesses whose bodies will lie in the streets, and the resurrection of tribulation stains who are described here. So in other words, the first resurrection includes the resurrection of Christ and of all the true believers, though they are raised at different times. It occurs in several stages. Let's look at chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Those who participate in the first resurrection are blessed because they will not be included in the second death, when all unbelievers will be casted into the lake of fire. True believers shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from the confinement and will go out to the four corners of the earth in order to deceive the nations that are hostile to Christ. Here, called Gog and Magog. Reference to Gog and Magog must not be confused with a similar reference in Ezekiel 38 and 39. There, Magog is a great land north of Israel and Gog is its ruler. Here the words refer to the nations of the worlds in general. In Ezekiel, the setting is premillennial. Here it is postmillennial. Chapter 20, verses 9. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. After recruiting an army of ungodly rebels, the devil marches against Jerusalem, the beloved city. But fire comes down from God out of heaven and consumes the troops. Let's look at the judgment of Satan and all unbelievers. Chapter 20, verses 10 to 15. Let's look at it. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and a false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil himself is casted into the lake of fire to join the beast and the false prophet. It may seem surprising that Satan would be able to assemble an army of unbelievers at the end of the millennial. However, it should be remembered that all children born during Christ's reign will be born in sin and will need to be saved. Not all will accept him as rightful king, and these will scatter throughout the earth trying to get as far away as they can from Jerusalem as possible. Note that the beast and the false prophet are still in hell after 1,000 years. This disproves the doctrine of annihilation, as does the statement, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Next, we are introduced to the great white throne judgment. Let's look at chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. It is great because of the issues involved 
And why? Because of the perfection and purity of the decisions handed down. The Lord Jesus is sitting as judge. The expression from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away indicates that this judgment takes place in eternity after the destruction of the present creation. Chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The dead, small and great, stand before God. These are the unbelievers of all ages. Two sets of books are open. The book of life contains the names of all who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And other books contain a detailed record of the works of the unsaved. No one who appears at this judgment is registered in the book of life. In fact, that his name is missing condemns him, but the record of his evil works determines the degree of his punishment. Chapter 20, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. The sea will yield up the bodies of those who had been buried in it. The graves were represented by death will deliver up the bodies of all the unsaved who had been deceived. Hades will give up the souls of all who died in unbelief. The bodies and souls will be reunited to stand before the judge. Just as there will be a degree of reward in heaven, so there will be a degree of punishment in hell. This will be based off of their works. Chapter 20, verse 14. Then the dead at Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. When we read that the death and Hades are casted into the lake of fire, it means the complete person spirit, soul, and body. The text explains that this is the second death and the lake of fire. There is a difference between Hades and hell. For the unconverted who had died, Hades is a disassembled state of conscious punishment. It is a sort of holding tank, an intermediate condition where they await the judgment of the great white throne. For believers who have died, Hades is a state of disassembled blessedness in heaven awaiting the resurrection and glorification of the body. When Jesus died, he went to paradise. When Paul equates with the third heaven, the dwelling place of God in Lord's disassembled state is called Hades. God did not leave his soul in Hades, but clothed it with a glorified body. Hell is the final prison of the wicked dead. It is the same as the lake of fire, Jehanna, and the second death. Chapter 20, verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The deciding factor at this judgment is whether one's name is written into the book of life. Actually, if a person's name had been inscribed there, he would have already been a part of the first resurrection. So this applies only to those who stand before the great white throne. I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live. That he died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves and not obeying God. 
We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that His Word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. The Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in Him. That demonstration of faith pleases God because we have freely chosen to know Him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 So the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging Him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because He knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His Son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, Pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now you prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10.9. 
So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless. And remember, Jesus is the voice of truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the voice of truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.